Turn with me now as we continue our study in the book of Acts. We find ourselves today in Acts. We're going to begin in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The question I have this morning is, what is often the aim of our evangelistic message? We far too often approach a proclamation of the gospel from our consumer American mentality. That is, that we present our sales pitch. We present something as if we have the greatest thing in the world to offer, which we do, but we approach it from a consumer mentality. We proclaim the excellencies of God and then we press in to close the deal. What we claim is that what we have is an offer that you cannot refuse. We've made the gospel a transaction. Gospel proclamation is not about a transaction because we come to it empty-handed. If we look back at last week and we were in uh, chapter 2, we ended with verse 41 that... Uh, we, we listened to this as uh, Peter had finished his message of uh, proclamation of the gospel and of his call to accountability. And he says, those who received his words were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. What had really taken place? Was it a transaction? Was it something that these uh, wonderful people who heard the proclamation of the gospel uh, God got a really good deal when he got us. That is not the idea at all. The idea is that God, in his power, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he took what was dead and made it alive. If you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We will look at Ephesians 2. As you're turning there, and as I am as well, we will uh, look at what it is that is really going on when the Holy Spirit comes and transforms a people. This same transformation happened to any one of us who sit in this room this morning. Any one of us who sit here and are claiming to be in Christ, or that we are claiming that Christ is in us. The difference between us and those who are perishing, as we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What then is the power of God? I believe that uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians clearly speaks to you and I. It speaks to this situation clearly. Let's begin in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and let's hear what uh, the Spirit of God would say to us today. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, verse 2, 
in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that is, those who were seeing the cross as foolishness, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see here that what is clearly going on is that those who were without Christ, those who had not uh, heard this proclamation of the gospel, they were just dead people. I was once a dead man as well. And the power of the Holy Spirit transformed me from death to life. And now I am living. So as we look back at Acts chapter 2, let's go back to verse 42. Because we want to see what is going on here. Is that what is going on here is that God, the Holy Spirit, he made alive what was once dead, and he joined us into a living organism. And that organism is what we call the church. Alistair Begg aptly puts our state of the American church, the state of this consumer idolatry that we uh, so readily involve ourselves in, that we so readily involve our church in, he says this, he says that the American church is spiritually malnourished and doctrinally illiterate. Such could not be said of the early church. Let's read verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You see here that there are four really simple things that the church devoted themselves to. Now devoted, as I uh, studied this word this week, devoted is seems a little weak. It seems uh, less powerful. And when you look at the, at the good old King Jimmy, in the King James, it says, and they continued steadfastly. Now, when you look that up, the idea of continue in the Greek word is that having continued, they continued continuing. Now, steadfastly is the same word as continue. So it reads something like this. And they continued continuing to continue so that they, having already continued, they continue continuing in the apostles' teaching. The ESV here uh, uses the term teaching, and the idea there is doctrine. Doctrine and teaching, same thing. They're the doctrine from the Word of God. And notice this, that the devotion, the dedication to the Word of God and to these four simple things, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, um, speaks nothing of the color of the carpet. What color do we want our carpet to be? And we get into debate about that. Is that not more American consumerism, our preferences, versus what it is that truly brings us life? The Word of God is life-giving. That is the idea of the reason why those who were dead in their trespasses, having been 
transformed and not having made a transaction with God, having been transformed by God, by the power of God, from death unto life, these were steadfast, were continually, with fervency, with energy, with strength, they were those who were about the apostles' teaching. We notice this, that what this is, and can lead us to think about, is what is orthodoxy, that is, what is right doctrine. There are many out there that say in this uh, postmodern world that right practice or orthopraxy is not something that uh, is really prescribed at all in the scriptures. It, it would tell us that whatever you want to do goes. And I say, I think that I believe that they are wrong. And these guys are much smarter than I am, but maybe I'm just a simple man who takes the simple uh, truth of what the word of God says. And I think this, that as we look at this, we see that this orthodoxy brings itself to orthopraxy. That is, right doctrine leads us into right practice. We can look backwards at verse 41 and see this, that there are really five simple things, is that, that those who received his word, that is, those who received the proclamation of the gospel that Peter was proclaiming, were transferred from death into life. And what they did is outwardly, symbolically, uh, proclaim the truth of that, that they were once dead and now they are alive and they were baptized and those souls were added that day by God. Think about this. Can any one of us who is dead make him or herself alive? We cannot. Can any transaction, can we uh, give anything of ourselves, anything of our dead selves, that would then make us alive. See, as we looked at Ephesians 2, it is by grace, it is by grace and grace alone that we have been saved. So, as they continued steadfastly, that is in the Greek word, the cross cartel eo, I know that you don't know Greek and neither do I. So, pros carter eo is the idea of continuing steadfastly. And what would they be continuing steadfastly in? What is it that the apostles' teaching would have been about? Well, of course, as we looked through the last of chapter, all of chapter 2, and really in verse 1, we would see, in chapter 1, excuse me, we would see that what we saw is a full presentation of the gospel in the message that was proclaimed by Peter to them, is that they saw the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the full gospel. And now these who had been translated, who had been transformed, who had been taken from death to life, uh, would have only seen maybe the power of the Holy Spirit uh, taking them to, to a place where they could see the resurrected Jesus. And as you remember from our studies in the past, all of our uh, faith and our walk in Christianity hinges on the fact that our God is alive, that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. We also might see that the apostles would teach and would proclaim the fullness of God, that they would see God as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that these who would have heard this, may have understood that God the Spirit is what it is that was going on there and had transformed them. Because, of course, they heard these languages being spoken all at once that uh, they could hear in their own language 
the mighty works of God. And what was the mighty work of God that they would have heard? But the gospel that Jesus Christ uh, came and lived a life that they could not live, that he died a death that they did not want to die, that he was transformed from death to life first, that we might also partake of that same life. So you see, what the Word of God is really about and what the apostles would have been teaching is that here is where we would find life. Notice also with me, please, that as the apostles' teaching would have included what happened in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Remember that in Acts 1, verse 3, that he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So you see this, that they would have seen the proclamation of the kingdom of God. They would have understood that this new life they had was not simply the old life redressed or the old life revisited with Christ as the center. It was a whole brand new life. It was not the kingdoms of the world that they were proclaiming. It was the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God requires that we live differently than we live now. And how is it that we live differently now? Because this is a life in the spirit, not a life in the flesh. And so this life in the spirit is only found through the pages of scripture that we find the life of Christ proclaimed, that we find our own lives uh, reinvented, recommitted, uh, reborn through the word of God. So, after 40 days, he would have been showing them this. The apostles' teaching would also have been from their own personal growth in the gospel. You remember last week that we talked about Peter's personal growth in the gospel. Remember that Peter had a moment of shame as he denied Christ three times and the rooster crowed and he had much shame. And then his moment of redemption, his moment of redemption, this fullness of the gospel come to reality that as Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? What is Jesus' response to Peter as Peter says, you know that I love you. You know that I have brotherly love for you. You know that I have uh, this agape love, he finally says in the last statement of his love to God. And Jesus tells him, feed my sheep. Why would he say feed my sheep? I believe that he says feed my sheep because he is telling him and telling Peter and telling the apostles that what it is that will bring about new life in those that would follow Christ is the word of God. Feed them the word of God, he would say. And over this overarching experience in the gospel, as they had been taught by Jesus personally, that Jesus had shown them about the kingdom of God, uh, verse one, verse uh, chapter one, verse three, excuse me. Uh, then also we would have seen then that they would taught them from their own personal growth in the gospel, because now Peter has room to speak into their lives, doesn't he? Peter could say that gospel has definitely transformed me. I once denied Jesus Christ. But I have now been redeemed. And in that redemption, God uses a wretched man like me, Peter, to feed the flock of God, to feed them the word of God. And all of this 
This is overridden by this powerful growth that, that they had in the gospel as it was proclaimed in scripture. You might remember, of course, last week that what they proclaimed, they didn't have this New Testament that we have. They didn't have the place in Ephesians where we turn to today to see that clearly what it is, is our state. What they had was Joel. As he preached from Joel, he preached Jesus Christ from Joel. So, it is the scripture that is the overriding idea here. So now let's look forward to chapter 2, verse 43 to 47. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds to all as any had need. Think about this. Think this, that as we talked about the gospel not being a transaction, the gospel was about a transformation. And what was it that was their focus as well? See, the focus here was this, that they knew in their heart and minds that Jesus could return any moment. And the possessions of this world then had really not much hold on them any longer. Because if you remember from chapter 1, verse 11, the apostles were standing there as Jesus ascended into heaven and these angels, these two men, stood by in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You see that Jesus is returning again. Do we live as if Jesus is coming back? If we lived as if Jesus was coming soon, that Jesus was coming back, we might have a lighter touch on our possessions. I'm not saying that possessions are bad and that we don't need to uh, do what we can to uh, live well and to be fed and all of those things. We need all of those things. And this is not really about communism, is it? It's about not having a consumer mentality where if I get the most of everything, I can hold on to it because this is as good as it gets. No, these uh, newly converted souls were living for the kingdom of God. And so their possessions, they meant really very little to them, but they also knew that there are those who had less than them that needed them. And so when we look back at verse 42 and we see that there was fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer and devoted themselves, there was a togetherness that all who believed were together and they had all things in common, verse 44. So you see this, that it is about real fellowship. It is about continuing to continue in fellowship. It is about continuing to continue going back to the cross and breaking bread with one another. That is sharing bread and also the idea of communion. That as we go to communion, as I think about that today, is that when we go to communion, what is it that we bring to the communion table? We bring nothing. We bring no life. What we bring is those things that may be dead things. Maybe we've picked up some dead things this week. And when we go back to the cross, when we go back to communion, we have a, a chance, a, an opportunity as it were, to deposit those dead things we've picked up throughout the week or throughout the month or however long it's been since we've taken communion together, is that we come and we lay those things at the cross. 
And guess what? Then we appropriate the gospel into our lives that Jesus Christ, he came and he died for those things that we picked up, those dead things. We bring them and we put them to death. We put them to death. And then by his blood, he washes us clean. And we are brand new again, walking in the newness of life, in the spirit and not in the flesh, because the flesh has been crucified with Christ and Christ being resurrected, resurrects us to new life by his blood shed for us. So you see here that the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of what it is that the church did was that they devoted themselves or they committed themselves or they continued continuing in the simple things. They made the plain thing the main thing. What is the plain thing? The plain thing to me is that all of our ministries, everything that we uh, commit ourselves to as a church as Carleton Community Church, ought to be about the Bible open, about Bible open ministry. And why is it? It is because that is where we find life. I think as a preacher of the gospel, that it is my duty, it is my uh, commission, it is my responsibility as pastor to preach and teach the Word of God and to proclaim the fullness of the gospel at every opportunity. That doesn't mean just Sunday morning, but that means that as we gather for a men's study or a women's study or uh, as we gather together to do a fellowship night as we did this last Friday, we need to have the Bible open because it is only in the scriptures that we will find life. We will find life in the scriptures. I would like us to look at the Gospel of John in a few places so that we can see um, what it is that the Word of God is about. The Gospel of John really proclaims a lot about life and about living. And you see from John 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see right away from the opening that the Word of God needs to be paramount because Jesus is the Word of God. Then we look at further ahead at verse 4, is that this Word of God, this Jesus, being manifest in the flesh for us, in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. So you see clearly there. Now let's look forward to John 10, uh, verse 10. Put there with me if you would. So in John 10, 10, here we have this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So you see that the abundant, spirit-filled life, where is it found? It is found in the Word of God. It is not found in men. And the Word of God transforms us to have a life but an abundant life, an abundant spirit-filled life. Not an abundant life of leisure and opportunity, but abundant life in the spirit, growing in who Christ is. And now, let's skip ahead to the fullness of what the Gospel of John says about his Gospel, uh, mainly, but I think that it also tells the purpose of the Bible altogether. In John chapter 20, verse 31, the writer here, John, says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, excuse me, 
the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So you see that dead men who do not know how to live, much like myself, when I first came to faith in Christ, I had no idea how to live. I didn't know what that meant. As a younger person, I think I would have been much further along in my walk with Christ had someone come alongside to me and said just these words and said to me, you know, you're going to find life and you're going to find life in the Word of God. And so you need to be about that daily. I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. I do understand now, though, that I have grown by leaps and bounds because of my daily dedication and devotion to the Word of God. My prayer is that we would all become more motivated, more dedicated to the Word of God. And we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit convicting us that the Word of God is where we would find life. And I think that as we do, as we find our lives, as we find our spirit-filled, our abundant spirit-filled life in the Word of God, that we then will start to put to death these uh, things of the flesh, these consumer ideals that we might say, you know, this world is not all there is, and I'm looking forward to the coming Jesus Christ. And so in this coming of Jesus Christ, I might purify myself by killing off the old man and by putting on this new man that I find this new life, this spirit-filled life, I find it in the Word of God. And remember that as we have been studying this, that there is a cyclical principle or pattern that is going on. We can see here that number one, that Christian leaders emerge and they preach the gospel. And step two of this cyclical pattern that we see in this book, and we will see it clearly next week, is that listeners are converted and added to the church. Well, as listeners are converted and added to the church, notice here that in Acts 2, 42 through 47, that they have been transformed from death unto life. And so they seek after those things what would bring them more life. And there's a purpose in this because as they uh, begin to immerse themselves in the Word of God, in this life-giving Word, that uh, there's something coming around uh, soon in this pattern of uh, cycle that goes on in the church. And it is going to go on in the life of our church, that listeners are added to the church. And number three, then, the step, the third step, the one that is coming next, the one that people don't want to talk about or think about, is that opponents begin to persecute the church. And then step four, God intervenes. But step five, the witness expands. So we will see that the gospel then expands um, uh, through persecution. So are you ready for persecution? Are you ready for what this life might give? Well, I think that we can only be ready for persecution because we could say this. My life is the life that the Word of God says it is. I don't hold on to the things of this world. And this flesh, my friends, is already dead. I have already reckoned the old man dead, and I am now living in the Spirit. Because the Word of God tells me that that is where I will find life. And I have found it to be true practically as I have studied the Word of God, that the Word of God has given me a brand new life. And so you might come after my flesh, but you cannot kill me. You cannot kill me because that which God has made alive cannot be killed. Amen to that? Amen to that. 
And so I ask this question, it begs this question to me, that as earlier, as I said, that Alistair Begg said that the American church is spiritually malnourished and doctrinally illiterate. And we see here that God adds to the church daily those who are being saved. Why would God add life to a church that is starving people spiritually? Why would God add life to a church that is allowing them to remain doctrinally illiterate? I think that the call is clear. I think that we are to be those who are about the word of God. I think that your litmus test for what a church is and what a church ought to be is that are they teaching and feeding the sheep? Are we, as followers of Jesus, being starved in our church today? Are we, as a church, uh, unaware of the doctrine of Christ that is found in the Scriptures? Are we being spiritually malnourished that we are not growing in faith and in hope and in love? Are we not growing in fellowship one with another with the believers? Are we not sharing all things with each other? What kind of fellowship do we have? Do we have one that is grounded in the doctrine of the Word of God? Is our practice lining up with the doctrines of Scripture? I pray that this is what it is that God is doing in us and through us. I know that my resolve is clear, that I will only preach the gospel, that I will only point us to the Word of God. And I pray for the strength to do so. I pray for the courage to just say what it says. And I pray for your courage and your strength to lean on the Word of God when all things seem opposed to it. I pray that you, those who are here, that have found new life would walk in it. I pray also for those who have not been transformed today. I pray that today, right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you are being changed, that you are being transferred from death unto life, and that today is the day of salvation for you, that you begin to live right now, right here where you sit. Let's pray. Lord, Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you uh, for each one that you've drawn here. I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you are transforming a life from death into life, that they are finding a new life in you, and that that life would be more abundant and spirit-filled. In Jesus' precious name, amen.